The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes, taking a long look at life under the sun. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 10, 20. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, um... Our confidence is in you. There's only one who's exceptional. That's you. And so we come asking that you would show us your exceptional self. We thank you for your word, Father. This is a challenging passage. We would ask that you would guide our thoughts in such a way that you're speaking to our lives, that you would bring what we need Uh, Each individually, Father, whether that be comfort, maybe it is conviction. Uh, Father, we pray that as we uh, have prayed earlier that you would bring repentance to such a level that uh, there would be some here who have yet to trust in Christ that today would be that day. Uh, Today is the day, Father. It's the only day we have. We pray that you would be at work uh, in this day, at this time, in this moment, speaking to our lives through your living word Through your Holy Spirit, uh, we will give you the thanks and praise as you do so. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's always intimidating uh, when you work on a passage and then you come to the commentary, which starts this way. Of all the passages in Ecclesiastes, this one is probably the most difficult to interpret and preach. Great. Now, the difficulty is in summing up um, all that is here into one subject matter. But I think we can. 
this overall text deals with politics, which for me is not very exciting, and I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I don't have a lot of interest, uh, certainly not expertise in what we would consider formal politics. However, when we recognize politics in its various arenas, we will quickly realize how this passage is relevant to all of us here this morning. This passage is important for us as those who are members of a representative democracy, in other words, formal politics. If you have uh, the age uh, and the ability to vote, it's important for us. But it's more important also for us who work within a business. So if you're an employee or you're an employer, or for those of us who are students uh, within a program, all vying for positions and relationships that will set you up for employment, or, uh, or for those who are maybe part of an athletic team, or if you are in a family. In, in other words, we could, say, uh, we could say business politics, or classroom politics, family politics. In other words, this passage uh, speaks to the complexity that comes as a result of relationships. Relationships with those who have, those who are in authority and those who are under authority. People living together, one, one person over another. Now, the way that Solomon expounds uh, this subject, uh, he do, like he does so often in other places, that he makes a comparison and contrast to those who are wise and to those who are uh, foolish. And so this passage even speaks to us who failed to listen who fail to apply God's word to our lives. In other words, it clearly spells out to those who want to reject God. So in one sense, this passage is for everyone who sits here, whether you're wise or you're a fool. Now, the passage is going to be immediately relevant. So immediate so that it's possible, I think, to apply its truth as quickly as you get up and interact with those around you at the end of the service. It's so relevant that when you get in your car and you drive home this morning, you may get an opportunity to apply its wisdom to your driving. And and it's relevant in the long-term, kind of deep consequence way in that It gives us a sense of peace that in this fallen world that we are are living in, in in these fallen relationships that we have, in these places and arenas of politics, uh, it gives us a sense that, yes, there is a sense of okayness as we navigate in the fallen world that Solomon is going to help us see in all of its brokenness. Now, one more thing I want to do to prepare you for this passage is I want you to think of three aims. The first here um, is this, uh, reflection. Now, the reason I want you to do this up front, or to know this up front, is because Solomon's words here are an expression of some personal observations that he's made, but also of some uh, uh, proverbs. And proverbs are typically referred to as short, clear sayings that offer wisdom so that one proverb is packed with a lot of truth and we could take one proverb and we could begin to unpack that truth there and it would fill us up both intellectually but hopefully uh, spiritually, emotionally in such a way that we could be filled by one proverb. We have 15 in our passage this morning. So your aim rather is to simply reflect on these and have your appetite wet for one or two proverbs that really speaks to your life today. That's aim number one. And number two, possibly in that we need to repent. Repent from foolishness. Possibly repent. And then the third aim is that I hope we come to a point of rest. Rest in wisdom. In this fallen world, knowing that there is a wisdom that is greater than this world will one day and will one day fix all that is, as we always start our service, that which is broken. So here's the simple, uh, straightforward uh, focus that I believe Solomon is calling us to do, and that is this. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. 
Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. Now, there are two points. The, the first is simply this. Solomon is going to show us the superiority of wisdom under the sun. And he's going to do this by showing us six ways in which wisdom under the sun is superior to foolishness when it comes uh, to politics, to the complexities of the relationships that God has us in those various arenas that we referred to at the very beginning. Now, before we get to these six ways, we do need to remind ourselves of uh, two expressions. First of all, under the sun, and then secondly, wisdom. So under the sun, if you're new with us, this is a code phrase, one of several code phrases that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's one that says, let's remove God from our lives. Let's remove uh, meaning and purpose and sense to a world where God is part of it. In other words, let's take him out of the picture, and let's see if we can find purpose. Let's see if we can find meaning. Let's see if we can find joy in this world without God, that which is under the sun rather than above the sun. Wisdom. Wisdom is the craft or the skill of applying knowledge to everyday life. So on one level here, he's going to show us how wisdom under the sun is superior to help navigate one through life. That wisdom by God's common grace, taking knowledge and understanding of principles and then applying them to life that Anybody can do this in sense of the common grace that God has given to us to help us navigate through life. So that's wisdom. So look how he starts in uh, verse, verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Now, the first personal reflection, we're going to see that in verses 14 through 16, is an introduction to this first overall point, that wisdom under the sun there is great, or at least has potential for greatness. So the first way Solomon wants to show us how wisdom is superior is to show the weapon of wisdom, the weapon of wisdom. So look at verse 14 now. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Here's his personal experience. He, here's, he, he, here's the setup. It, it's a story. You get that story there. It's of Little odds for success. We have a little city with a few men in it. And surrounding this little city is a great king building great siege works. But there was found in it a poor wise man. Solomon notes, first of all, that this man is poor. As a result, he doesn't have influence in the high places in life. However, he is a wise man. He has understanding and skill to apply it and apply that knowledge. And so we see in our story, so by his wisdom, he delivered the city. Now, the first question I had when I read this, I thought, well, how? How did he deliver the city? What did he do? Tell us the rest of the story. Uh, we don't get the rest of the story. We don't get the answer to that question, which I think emphasizes the next point, which is he says, yet no one remembered that poor man. The outcome, that's all the people care about. They, they don't care to remember who did it and how he did it because people are fickle. So that if this is the outcome of wisdom, there could be a question of, is wisdom all that great? Oh, no, yeah, this is what he says. Psalm says, verse 16, I say, but I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. But in this example, the wise man's words were heeded and not despised. But even if they are not heeded and despised, Solomon says, wisdom is better than might. Now, here's the first of his Proverbs. 
Here's the beginning of contrast between wise and the foolish, wisdom and folly. The wise leader doesn't need to shout. He, he makes his point without ever having to raise his voice. He wins over the crowd by simply reason. Oh, but look at the foolish contrast. Loud. A ruler among fools requires shouting to make his or her point. It is among people who have no discernment that shouting may be actually impressive or may even seem powerful. Shouting to whip up the emotions of an audience who are uninterested in wisdom. We live in a day of shouting rulers on the left and on the right of the aisle. Solomon says in verse 18, oh, but wisdom is better than the weapons of war. It's a picture of wisdom's power. But we get quickly, get a sense in Solomon's thoughts, there is some vulnerability to wisdom under the sun. You look there at the end of verse 18. But one sinner destroys much good. And then he gives a succinct picture of, and, and another a succinct picture of truth in another proverb, chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies makes the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Uh, the picture here is flies, they're drawn to this sweet smell of perfume, and they fall into the unguarded ointment and dies, and thus, as a result, contaminates uh, and spoils what was intended to be beautiful. So that wisdom and the honor that comes to wisdom does draw in fools who want to have the honor without the wisdom. And so they fall in, if you will, into this. And they're the ones who make what should be beautiful, what should bring honor, is that they make it into a stench. Beauty spoiled. See, how was it that a nation with a history of scientific discovery, of rich contribution in music and arts, and deep theological roots like the country of Germany fall into the kind of depravity that we saw in World War II. And in my mind's eye, what I picture is I picture those black and white propaganda films that you can you know, see where you've got this raving fool shouting and whipping up these sentiments, the nation's emotions around a nationalism that justifies in the end the destruction of millions. But even so, Solomon would say, wisdom under the sun is as vulnerable as it is. It is superior even over weapons of war. So turn, turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. Secondly, wisdom is superior as seen in the witness of wisdom, uh, verses two through four. Let's just look at verse two. He says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And again, there's a clear contrast here. Look at the first, the witness of the fool. See, I think the key word there in verse two is this word inclines. The inclination of one's heart serves one's reaction to an unexpected uh, moment uh, or events. And we know in the ancient world that the right side is the side of prosperity and good fortune. Sorry, Southpaws. I'm a Southpaw, uh, left-handed. And the left is that of disaster and ill omen. So a foolish man has an inclination to act in a way that leads to disaster. So that look what he says there in verse three. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. <laughs> so that even that simplest mundane of act of getting from one place to another, he reveals himself by his actions 
He truly is a fool. We see this every day. We see this every day when we drive on our roads or drive on the interstate and someone drives in such a way that they simply say, I'm a fool. <laughs> by the way, there is a proverb for you uh, who might be cut off by a fool driver. It's this. Proverbs 26.4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Were you a fool this morning? The folly of a fool is generally self-evident, but the fool is in contrast to the witness of the wise See, the wise man's heart, verse 2 there, inclines him to the right. And wisdom looks like this in verse 4, whether it be in your home or in your school, in your workplace, or in your government. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. See, it seems to hear that the wisdom is for those who, of us who are in the presence of authority, and that authority figure is angered. So he says, do not act with abruptness. You know, to storm out in anger for being misunderstood, or to sulk out in frustration, or to run out in fear. See, the, uh, there in verse 4, the great offenses, they may be perceived, or they may be real. The wise reaction to the ruler's anger is to be calm, because what might happen in that calm? Well, in the calm, further truth might come to light. More information might give perspective. Or maybe in that calm, there's a conviction of your own heart where you get to a point where you say, you're right, I'm wrong, and there's repentance. Please forgive me. Calm is like a baseball bat in Proverbs chapter 12 or 25, verse 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. That's pretty amazing. Calm. The witness of wisdom is that it is superior, so... Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. Now look at verses 5 through 7. Here's his third way that the wisdom is superior. Uh, the weight of wisdom. The weight of wisdom. Now it's your, turn, your time to turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's using W's for his ways. You're right. This is, this is the third W. W. The weight of wisdom. Another personal observation, verses 5 through 7. Solomon is making his point of that superiority of wisdom by putting forth a negative. Uh, uh, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. See, Solomon saw an error that we still see today. Now, look here where it, it, where it proceeds from. It proceeds from the ruler, and it is this. He or she places fools in positions of authority, most likely to pay off a favor. The rich here refers to those who are rich in wisdom, those who should be in positions of authority, but rather than those high places, they, they have little influence, they're placed in low places. Or as verse 7, he, he's not talking about literal slaves, he is talking about those who should be ruled with should be ruled with little or no say because they're such fools, but rather than being ruled, they're in the positions of authority. What he's saying here, this is the nature of politics in the fallen world. Now, now I, I think this is the weight, the, the weight of wisdom, the weight or the heaviness of wisdom, the, and that's this, that the true order of life, when it is turned upside down, it shakes all society. It, it shakes the foundation of a company, or it shakes an athletic team. It shakes a family. See, in Proverbs chapter uh, 30, verses 21 and 22, we read these words, under three things, the earth trembles. 
And the first is this, a slave when he becomes a king. This is anonymous, ominous reality. See, what he's saying here is that there is a shaking up of all that we thought was solid when the foolish are put in places of authority. We live in a time where because fools are in the position of authority that our society is being shaken so that what we thought was solid, we can't seem to now determine whether someone's a boy or a girl. As one commentator writes, the exaltation of unworthy character, characters is a sign that the society is falling apart. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. Number four, the work of wisdom, verses eight and nine. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. See, what we have here is that the fallenness, fallen nature, uh, fallenness uh, of our world is that it is an it is unjust. There's a, it's unjust nature uh, of our world. Verses eight and nine are descriptive of an individual who is harmed by the very occupation chosen to make a living. In other words, one's living has the potential to do just the opposite, to harm you, to maim you, to even kill you. The digging of a ditch, the breaking down of a wall, the quarrying of a stone or the splitting of logs really are just simply neutral activities that can unexpectedly turn against you. There are dangers and instabilities that come with good work. We certainly see this in politics. Politicians who try to serve fairly and justly may see that the very efforts that they do blow up in their face. Nevertheless, Solomon continues with some pictures of the value of wisdom. Uh, Verse 10, so if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed. So wisdom says, sharpen the tools of your trade. Don't let your tools get dull. Verse 11, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. In other words, wisdom not used in a timely manner gives no advantage. So charm the snake. Use wisdom. The fallen world is filled with dangers that are unpredictable and can have deadly outcomes. And the work of wisdom is to, in a sense, charm one's life. Keep sharp. Keep learning. Grow in your trade. Don't sit still. Wisdom is superior. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. Fifthly, the words of wisdom, the words of wisdom, verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Out of the heart comes one's words. If you are wise, your mouth will reveal it. It's remarkable the number of Proverbs that confirms this reality. And so notice what the man's mouth does. It ends up winning him favor. A wise man's mouth does have this positive outcome. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, again, how were your words this morning? The opposite is true, the end of verse 12, but the lips of a fool consume him. Proverbs 10, 8 says, the babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10, 14 says, the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 18, 6 through 8 says, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. 
And so notice verse 13, it all starts small. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is like evil madness. So that what might start as something small and inconsequential can, if left unchecked, lead to madness. Verse 14. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him, so that while the fool doesn't know what is to come, nor can he go to anybody to tell him what is to come, he's so convinced of himself that he believes he can tell the future, and and so he has a cascade of words for his his listeners, kind of like a, a big sales pitch. Or verse 15, the fool, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The fool is so foolish that even though he doesn't know where to go, how to get to the city, to the end, he just doesn't want to admit that. And so he continues to just uh, throw out words, wearying his confused traveler with a long, with a long-winded explanation. A fool is known by his words. So turn to wisdom to navigate one's life. And then finally, Solomon's sixth point of showing the superiority of wisdom. He finishes with the way of wisdom, verses 16 and 17. He says, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. See, verse 16 begins with woe, the the strongest biblical word of despair. A country is in despair when their leaders are immature, undisciplined, and indulgent, using prestige and privilege of office to serve self rather than the people. The catastrophe for a family for education, for business, for country. You know, it it doesn't happen all at once. It's just a slow leak. Occurs over a duration of time that all of a sudden there is this disaster that occurs. See, the roof needs ordinary maintenance, verse 18, through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. If you're indolent, that is, uh, avoid any kind of exertion (laughs) or sloth to be habitually lazy, the outcome is that it won't, you won't immediately have a catastrophe, but over time, the catastrophe will happen. On the contrary, one's family, one's education, one's job, one's land is happy when those in leadership understand when to feast and how to use uh, their resources. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine, gladdens life, and money answers everything. Yeah, there's some truth to that. And the way of wisdom gives direction to those who are ruled, verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. It's remarkable how an offhanded comment or rash words, gets back to the boss. And we have an English little phrase from this proverb. A little bird told me. Silence is the way of wisdom. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgressions not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Wisdom under the sun is superior. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. So now what Solomon does is he's packed idea upon idea upon idea 
I hope you're feeling a little weary right now and thinking when's this message going to get over. That's the whole point he's trying to do here for us. He's trying to overload us with this idea that wisdom under the sun is superior. So he says, turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. See, one of the great outcomes of the Reformation that started in 1517 was the call for education for the the masses. Our own founding fathers then out of that uh, saw, saw its value. Benjamin Franklin said, if a man empties his purse into his head, no man can take it from him. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. John Adams, the whole people must take upon themselves the education of the whole people and be willing to bear the expenses of it. There should, be, so there should not be a district of one mile square without a school in it, not founded by a charitable individual, but maintained at public expense of the peoples themselves. In the past century, we heard Franklin Roosevelt's words. What President Washington pointed out on many occasions in many practical ways was that a broad and cosmopolitan education in every stratum of society is a necessary factor in any free nation governed through a democratic system. LBJ, in his War on Poverty, said, we believe this, that is you and I, that education is not an expense. We believe it is an investment. And then use a biblical term here, the 10 talents multiply. When we advance learning, free men enter a new world of opportunity and experience. If we reject learning, we render ourselves dead to the past and lost to the future. Ronald Reagan, in his famously way that he would address the nature, my fellow Americans. As summer draws to a close, our thoughts naturally turn to the coming school year. Few things could be more central to the life and health of our nation than the education of our children. Our schools hold the future of America in their lands. Barack Obama, at this defining moment in our history, the most valuable skill you can sell is your knowledge. Education is the currency of the information age. No longer just a pathway to opportunity and success, but a prerequisite. We are one of the most educated peoples in the world, living in a time of unprecedented access to knowledge. And by God's common grace, this knowledge actually has been applied many times with wisdom. And yet, with this agreement on the need for education, we still have racial discrimination. And with our understanding of the human body and the marvels of cellular biology at the moment of conception and the ability to track the incredible design of DNA strand, we daily kill children in the womb. Or how is it that we can experience the complexities of the universe and we can look deep into space, which screams design, and screams beauty, and we attribute it to an impersonal force of chance. Stephen Hawking, he died three months ago. He was a theoretical physicist and cosmologist, and history will show that he was one of the most brilliant men of our day. He has, he has progressed our understanding on quantum mechanics and its relationship to the general theory of relativity. I don't know anything about either of those things. I'm told it's good. All of this with the onset of ALS that slowly destroyed his body over decades. He was a brilliant man. God's common grace, a blessing. And yet when it came to his understanding of life above the sun, he said, there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's how he likened the human brain. That is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Or on his understanding of God, he said, science offers a more convincing explanation And then he continues explaining one of his quotes in his most recent book. What I meant by, quote, we would know the mind of God, end of quote, is we would know everything that God would know if there was a God, which there isn't. I am an atheist. A brilliant man who died a fool. Psalm 14, 1. 
the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Education that ignores the reality of God above the sun in the end produces fools. See, Solomon understood that this wisdom under the sun is extremely vulnerable. Look back at verse 18 of chapter 9. One sinner destroys much good. It only takes one. And that sinner is me. See, the problem is You're the fool. I'm the fool. My wife and I have lived in some interesting places. We've lived in Portland, Oregon, Lakewood, Colorado, right on the edge of the mountains, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, neighbors of Amish, Gardner, Montana, just out 200 yards outside of Yellowstone National Park. And in moving into every one of those places, there's kind of this sense of hopefulness, not only because of the opportunities to experience, but, uh, the, but the jobs that are going to be there. You, you feel like it's tempting to believe, you know, life's going to be better here. But the problem in every place we've moved and in every work we've done that we were there. See, if you're looking for a new move or a new job as a sole reason for saying life is going to be better, the problem is you're there. The sinner we must most be concerned about in the politics of life is not some family member. It's not some classmate. It's not some middle manager. It's not a government official. The sinner you need to be most concerned about is you. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from me? Paul writes in Romans 7. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what we need is wisdom above the sun. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and because, God, uh, and because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. So, point two. Oh, no. Yeah, point two. The superiority of wisdom above the sun. Point one, under the sun. Point two, above the sun. The weapon of wisdom. So back in our passage, chapter 9, uh, the weapon of wisdom what was a poor, wise man. And you notice there, back in chapter 9, he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Well, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, became poor both materially and spiritually, by taking your sins on the cross. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. 
the witness of wisdom. Remember back in our passage, verse 2 of chapter 10, there's an inclination of one's heart. Well, Jesus tells the parable of the rich farmer who was wise under the sun so this land produced remarkably. And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, by whose will they be? See, his wisdom under the sun failed him. So the witness of wisdom, capital W, concludes the parable. Jesus said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So turn to wisdom, capital W, to navigate your way through life. The weights of wisdom, again, back in our passage, we're reminded of the chaotic nature of life when the social order is turned upside down, back in verses five through seven. Christ came to turn wisdom right side up. You've seen these Jeeps where at the top of their windshield, it's in upside down words, if you can read this, turn me over. <laughs> well, God sent his son to turn wisdom right side up. And in Corinthians chapter one, 1 Corinthians chapter one, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks and seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life, or the work of wisdom. Remember back in our passage that wisdom is not used in a timely manner. It will gives no advantage. So Christ, Galatians chapter four, four through five said, but just at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Wisdom given in a timely manner. But wisdom not used, remember the snake charmer, gives no advantage. And so the Hebrew writer warns us today, since therefore it remains for some to enter into rest and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today. Saying through David, so long afterward, quoting Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. The words of wisdom, out of the heart comes one's word, which is why Paul writes, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth he confesses and is saved. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. The way of wisdom. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Turn to wisdom to navigate your way through life. Christ, the wisdom of God is available to you today. Perhaps you are a certifiable fool this morning. You have lived your life as if you are the God of life. You have determined that you know what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, and in so doing, you have destroyed much good. Turn. Turn to Christ. If you feel that conviction that I am that fool, 
today is the day. Perhaps, believer, you've trusted in Christ for many years. You could be an individual with a reputation for wisdom and honor. But I think the passage here is a warning. It only takes a little folly. It only takes for you to be a practical atheist for a moment. To ruin one's wisdom and place of honor. Christ is available to you today as well. For as we, as we take this bread and as we drink this cup with our senses and in a real way, our bodies, our souls receive again the grace of God and with our minds we're reminded that God gave his son Jesus Christ to live always in the fear of God and thus before us is wisdom, our righteousness and simultaneously the sacrifice of our foolishness. Christ came to take fools like us who even knowing Christ, we are foolish every day. He took that sin in his body, died on the cross for us, shed his blood that we might be cleansed of our sins. So today, if you're that fool, repent. Say, God, today I again Receive your grace in my life. Turn to Christ to navigate your way through life. Father, help us. Oh, Father, you've, I, your word is living. Our, heart is, our hearts are hard. But I believe you have spoken through your word to cause us to reflect our own foolishness. Father, oh, give us grace by giving us repentance of the conviction that you have for us. That we might turn and say, yes, Father, I am that fool. I want Christ. I want his forgiveness again us who know Christ. Father, we thank you that there's rest. Rest knowing that Christ, who was so rich, became so poor that we might be rich in his poverty. Thank you, Father, that all that is necessary for us to come to you right now is for us to be fools, admit our foolishness, to admit our poverty, to tell you again, I have nothing to offer to you today. I bring nothing. Father, bring us to that point. That's what is required of us, that we might receive everything in Christ for his glory and our good. Please do this in our lives today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.